Get Real, the new podcast where we speak openly about all things animal research, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Get Real explores the deep truths so we can make compassionate choices for people and animals, allowing us to shape our medical future together. Welcome to the debut episode of Get Real. Get Real is a podcast combined with a website through which we can communicate that's hosted by the National Animal Interest Alliance. I'm Dr. Cindy Buckmaster, your host for Get Real, and today I'm going to introduce you to some of the folks on the ground whose job it is to actually take care of our research animals. You'll hear from specially trained veterinarians, managers, supervisors, training specialists, and veterinary and husbandry technicians. But we won't spend much time talking about the details of their jobs, um, because today they have something really important to share with you about the fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's something that has impacted your lives as much as theirs. And they want you to know about it, because they care about you, and because you deserve to know the truth. But they won't be named, and their voices will be disguised, and they'll tell you why. So let's begin this episode with a few questions. Are you or someone you love struggling with an incurable disease like Parkinson's or ALS or Alzheimer's or cancer? Well, did you know that when the pandemic hit and businesses were asked to shut down to accommodate social distancing, that research institutions also shut down? Well, they did. And so what do you think happened to all of those ongoing essential studies related to your incurable disease? And what do you think happened to the animals who are contributing to those essential studies related to your disease. Today, we'll learn about it directly from the COVID-19 heroes you haven't heard about. Until now, on Get Real. I know it's been a very intense time in the midst of this pandemic and everything that's happening to us uh, personally and with our families. Um, and I want to give you all an opportunity to share what you've experienced professionally with our listeners. But I do think it will be helpful if you can first give us a little background about this discipline and, and, and what that means with respect to your role in caring for research animals. So would you please just take a few minutes and sort of highlight the essence of your work for us? Um, yeah, sure. The, the, you know, this is, a, this is a really special discipline um, within veterinary medicine and even animal care in general, it's it's something that's been been around for a, for a long time. And um, my my specialty is laboratory animal medicine, which is one of the the older specialties within veterinary medicine altogether. And um, we are we are not researchers. We are the people who provide the care the, for the care of the animals and um, serve as the the voice of the animals. Um, to make sure that their their needs are met and that the animals are as healthy as possible to get the best research. We all think that animal research is very important to advancing the human condition, and uh, we take our role very seriously in um, in, in providing the care and um, for the well-being of the animals. And we're all here because we're animal lovers. It sounds like you love your job. Um, why do you love your job so much? Oh, I love my job so much because I really, in the end, I love people. And, and this gives me an opportunity to work with animals 
You hear people say that all the time. They really just wish they had a job where they could work with animals every day. And we get to work with animals in a way that directly impacts the health and welfare of people. And, you know, it's, it's a higher calling. And the thing about lab animal medicine is I get to see new treatments, new surgeries, cutting edge things being happening, being discovered, being trialed. And two or three years later, I see those same things being tried in humans. And I see the articles of these experimental treatments. And I know that those are my animals. For my residency, I, I developed a very strong attachment to a group of pigs. And when the article came out a year or two later about the research that those girls produced, I couldn't stop crying happy tears about the the work and um, the the um, addition to science and to medicine that these girls did. Yeah. Okay. So let's fast forward to the situation we're in now. The COVID-19 pandemic has, uh, has hit us all and uh, the research institutions have been impacted um, as a consequence of our needing to conserve and maybe distribute our personal protective equipment uh, to first responders and medical professionals, in addition to our need to social distance among ourselves and our caregivers, we're being asked to um, do something extraordinary uh, that's unimaginable and something we've never been asked to do before, and that is to euthanize many, in some cases thousands, of healthy research animals who will never be able to be a part of, of a study they were, they were intended for. Can you tell us how that decision came down? You know, how did you hear about it? What were you feeling? Yeah, the first the first messaging we we received were that we would continue functioning business as usual, but as many people who could go home and work from home would. And we knew from the beginning that that we weren't eligible for that because our work is here with the animals. Um, we really believe that all of our work is critical, and all the animals that we work with are very very important. Some of the, the different groups that we work with elected to take animals that hadn't started on study yet or were at early phases of the studies um, elected to just to euthanize those, those animals. And part of that was so that more people could work at home and achieve social distance. And part of it was in fear that people were going to get sick, and then we would have more animals to take care of than we had people to take care of them, and that we would have studies that were lost because the people who were supposed to be running the studies weren't going to be able to complete them. But it, it, it's one thing to euthanize animals when you know that they, they, their, their lives were given for the greater good. You know, when you euthanize an animal and terminal tissues are taken, including blood samples, um, or or it was it they you know that data was derived from them that was was going to contribute to the greater scientific knowledge and and advance the care and welfare of people. There's a certain amount of peace that comes from that. And while we love the animals, 
you know, we take a great stock in making sure that their their final moments are as calm and peaceful as they can be. And that's that's no that's no different under these circumstances. But, you know, we were spending hours euthanizing animals, you know, as part of our day when it would normally have only been been minutes. Um, you know, whole whole groups of animals, um, whole rooms of animals. And um, to just take those animals and 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 set them aside and know that they were purpose bred for research and that research was never done, it it it, it makes you feel like they're wasted and that's not satisfying. And um, we were asking our people to work independently, um, al alone, socially isolated from other people. So they were in rooms doing this job by themselves, um, with now a lot of opportunity for support from their their colleagues. And um, this was this was a, a very difficult time. And we we all understand that this is this is for the greater good. And this was freeing up people to do some of the, the the great support work that's being done to develop therapeutics and interventions and testing for this this coronavirus. But um, the uh, the deviation from our original mission was really hard, and we reduced our our rodent colony by by almost half. We were kind of given these types of orders very quickly, um, and it was sort of everyone kind of had to jump in and work together. And I can tell you, um, having been in the facilities at that point, every single person involved is heartbroken, um, whether it's the, the technicians that actually work with the animals and they love these animals. And it seems silly because it's mice, but you really develop a relationship and it's heartbreaking to lose your animals. But then there's also the researchers that were coming up to us just losing years and years of research like it's just it's such a waste that you know they're losing all of this important information that could be curing people down the road but you know basically one disease was prioritized over another and they were heartbroken over losing their animals because they've spent all this time creating these lines and creating these animals and working with them and and it was unfortunately there isn't anything that can pre uh, prepare you researchers were in an absolute frantic panic. Um, they were being told by their PIs they had until Friday to get essentially all of the data that they could get uh, for possibly the next few months. Like, this is it. Finish your research. You can write your paper when you're at home, right? Um, but whatever data you need, you need it now. And so it was really crazy. Everything was happening really fast. Um, it was hard to get our normal work done because just researchers were in and out. Everyone, I feel like every 10 seconds I was being asked, where are the masks? And I was just having to say, hey, no, we don't have any masks right now. Sorry for the inconvenience. It just, it went by in such a blur. And um, I had it in my head that this wouldn't actually result in a lot of uh, euthanasia of healthy animals. And um it wasn't until I was actually been, I've been trying to check in with my technicians every day to make sure they're okay. And it wasn't until one of my technicians sent me a, a picture of a, I'm sorry. And she sent me a picture of a mouse rack covered in cards requesting that the husbandry staff euthanize all of these healthy animals. And 
and she stayed, said to me that the husbandry staff was asking her why that this was being done. And they were looking for explanations and support. And we're trying to do a lot of work now on compassion fatigue and things like that, but it's really hard in our industry because people are kind of afraid to talk about what they're going through. The way the media portrays research, it's not exactly a socially acceptable occupation. People don't really know what we do or that we exist. And when it comes up in conversation, whether people mean to or not, they have that knee-jerk reaction. And it makes it really hard. So if you have a hard day at work and you've had to do this terrible th stuff and that, you know, you're going to work and, you know, stressing yourself out about taking transportation, you can't go home and talk to people because you're afraid of what they're going to think, that they're going to judge you. And that makes it even harder to deal with those emotions. When I saw your posts, Cindy, about animal care people grieving over the loss of their animals, it was like, the rug had been pulled out from under me and I was able to just suddenly just think about it. Um, think about all the animals at my facility, think about all the animals at every other facility. And just suddenly I was so, so terrified and so upset that I went home and I just, I just spent the entire evening crying and I, I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know how to talk about it. Um, I, it's not like I can post on social media, like my friends in healthcare who are struggling with the patient's patient load with the, the shortage of supplies. They're able to complain on their Facebooks saying, saying that, you know, their lives are really, lives are really hard right now. I, I felt so completely alone in that I just, I could, nobody could share in my grief and then maybe they wouldn't understand my grief. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it, it, it was really, really hard. It was like one of some of the hardest two days I've ever experienced. It was really like, it's, it's hard to even describe. I'm personally reviewing information about compassion fatigue and, and helping our people when this all gets back to normal. To, to make sure that they, they continue to, to believe in the mission and believe in what they're doing and, and look for signs um, of what the PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder. I had a, had a caretaker who stood in the hallway this morning and talked to me because we have to keep our social distance and told me that in the, the 20 years that he's worked here, he's never had to do anything like this before. And I felt bad. I know this has been very difficult, and I appreciate your um, your candidness and your sharing so much emotion with us all. But why do you do this work when it can be so hard on your heart? This is a this is a labor of love. This is a like I said a, a higher calling. Not just anybody can do this. The animals are the superheroes, and we're the we're the sidekicks. But th this is this is where I need to be, and some days it's hard, but at the end it's it's worth it, because if I don't if I don't come to work and care for these animals and love these animals, then who will? I have people in my life that I love dearly, 
who have medical issues and who have benefited from animal research. And if I can help someone else's mother, wife, daughter, colleague with the work that I'm doing, and I can contribute to the greater good, then it's important to me to do that. I've worked on vaccine development. I've worked in cancer research. And basically knowing that the work you're doing with the animals is going to make things better. When you see articles in the newspaper and your you know, family members and friends will talk about it, and you know that the work you did contributed to that. That makes you so proud that you're helping people understand things better. You're helping you know, develop cures and vaccines and treatments and all these things that are making life better for humans and animals came through the work you're doing. If the whole world would stop moving for a minute and, and you could have everybody in the world stop what they're doing and provide you with their full attention, what would you want them to know about what this experience has been like for you? It was very upsetting. I mean, I know, Cindy, as you mentioned earlier, we're all grappling with the issues that are related to this coronavirus. And this is just makes it a thousand times worse because not only do we have the same issues, the same, you know, things about concerns about our jobs and about our lives that, you know, we would as members of the general public, but we also have to face this and this grief. And the fact that, you know, as you mentioned, we are a lot of times unseen. Um, you know, people, oftentimes people in my field will hide because they, they don't want to be attacked by animal rights groups. Um, but that sometimes gives animal rights groups a win because they think, oh, if you're hiding, then you have something to hide. But that's not the case at all. Uh, you know, and I think this this um, transparency is really needed and, and, you know, for people to see how we really feel, especially when something like this happens and, and the grief that is experienced by this whole field. I know the field is going to be dedicating this entire year, if not longer, to the challenges that, are, that have been faced just because of this outbreak alone and how we can do it better, you know, because we can always learn something from every issue. And so if the whole world is hearing us, it's just please know that we really care about the animals that we're working with. It doesn't matter if it's just mice and rats or fish or frogs or, you know, even some of the quote unquote lower species. We care about them so much. And it's really important that you know that and that you understand how we felt during this and that it was terrible and that we wish that we never had to do it. I think the public needs to know that there are actual living feeling people that are behind, you know, the, the curtain taking care of these animals and these animals mean a lot to us and we have feelings and it's not like we're doing it because we, um, it's just a job. It's, it's our calling. It's what we do. And we do it for you. We do it for you. We do it for your mother. We do it for your father, your brother, your sister, your kids. We love our job. We don't think it's it's frivolous. We don't think it's cruel. We care for our, our animals. We give them a, much respect. We we thank them for their service, and um, we tr do the best we can to take care of them every day. Now, in the context of the the COVID nineteen pandemic, we understand that priorities shifted, and that we didn't see it come in, 
and we weren't really ready for the the fallout you know we we plan for disasters that are going to last days maybe weeks you know think tornadoes or hurricanes but this is this is huge and this this has been this has been hard this is this is devastating there are there are lives that are lost human and animal and um it, it they are not they are not <laughs> they are not disappearing quietly we are we we are noticing we we hurt we grieve for them we grieve for the 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 animal lives that are wasted we we grieve for the the setbacks in science and we desperately want life to get back to normal we desperately want life to get back to normal i think we can all identify with that right i mean how amazing would it be to be able to go out to dinner again and meet friends for drinks and hang out with our families over the holidays all these things that we we took for granted before right we all want life to get back to normal but for the biomedical research community, getting back to normal also means getting back to the essential work they do to treat and cure diseases other than just COVID-19, which has basically taken priority over nearly everything else since it came last year. But I need you to understand something. We can't get back to those essential studies that were put on hold. We can't resume them until the animals that teach us what we need to know are repopulated. And that's not gonna happen until we get this pandemic under control and we can fully populate our facilities again with, with human beings who can care for these animals properly. Now I wanna talk to you about something that I really need to clarify. Um, and, and believe me when I tell you that my intent here is not to be adversarial. But for the sake of honesty and truth, I really have to call this out. Some of you are probably aware of PETA's campaign calling on institutions and government leaders nationwide to defund animal research because of the euthanasia that occurred. Um, in, the, in the course of the decision-making, our leaders who had two or three days to make an unprecedented and very dramatic decision used some unfortunate terminology. And what they, what they told our folks to do was you know, to, to euthanize the animals that were non-essential. Now, of course, we know what that meant. But PETA's campaign um, went forth, and they, as I said, contacted all these institutions and government leaders and basically told them, you know, that we, we call this work non-essential, right? They said that, you know, if these animals are non-essential, then the studies they were involved in were also non-essential. And their point was that the government is just wasting tax dollars on studies that aren't truly necessary. But, of course, that's not what anybody meant, and that's not what happened, we are in the midst of the most serious public health crisis of our lifetime. And really hard decisions had to be made regarding which essential studies could continue and which of them could not, given our current situation. And I think the thing that bothers me most is that while PETA is playing word games, real people and real animals continue to struggle with real diseases. And they're relying on the research community for help. They're looking to us for hope. And the saddest thing about this is that hope for these patients will continue to be on hold 
until we can get this crisis under control. That said, we're still surrounded by hope and love. I mean, our first responders and medical professionals continue to work tirelessly in the midst of this madness, risking their own lives to save ours every single day. And we love them dearly for their selflessness. They're heroes. There's no question about it. But I want you to think about something, and I, and I mean no disrespect by this. Again, it's, it's just the truth. Clinicians don't develop treatments and cures. They deliver them. And the fact is that every test they run and every drug and medical intervention in their tool chest came from research with animals. And that means that our research animals are also heroes. And there's no question about that either. But these heroes require special care by uniquely trained laboratory animal professionals who love animals and people in a selfless way that most of us just can't fathom. You heard from some of those folks today. They're heroes too. They're just invisible heroes because most of you didn't know they existed until today. These beautiful, loving people whose hearts ache continually for the animal lives they've lost and the animal lives they still have to take in order to save yours. You see, one of the deep truths about animal research that isn't often discussed openly is that most of our studies are terminal because the answers are in the tissues. So that means that these incredible people experience a constant cycle of bonding and heartbreak that most of us would never sign up for. It's a profession where compassion fatigue is common and sometimes really difficult to manage, especially in times like these. Compassion fatigue is something we've been hearing a lot about in the midst of this crisis. And so many lives lost, so many hearts broken. But what, what is compassion fatigue exactly? And how do our experiences with compassion fatigue differ across medical, veterinary, and animal care professions in general? I mean, under normal circumstances, and now especially in the midst of this pandemic that just continues to spiral out of control. We're going to explore this fairly intense topic on the next episode of Get Real with a good friend of mine who studies compassion fatigue. Now, we're going to learn a lot together on this one. And we're also going to feel a lot together. So I need you to be prepared. Listen, deep truths aren't usually comfortable. But they're the only path to positive and loving change. I'm Dr. Cindy Buckmaster, your host for Get Real, and I'm super grateful to our guests and our listeners for joining us today. I invite you all to send me any questions or comments you have about this episode or animal research in general. You can reach me through my website at getrealpodcast.info. That's one word, getrealpodcast.info. You can also keep up with announcements about upcoming episodes and commentaries I may make in between by following Get Real on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So please check in regularly. We'll talk soon. <laughs>